for a word of prayer with me. Father, this one thing that we ask from you, the one thing that we seek after, that we may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in your temple. Father, we come this morning just saying thank you. Thank you for allowing us to just bask in your presence. Thank you for allowing us to come and to gather together in the spirit of unity. Thank you for an opportunity for us to sit under your word one more time. Thank you, Father God, for being so faithful, for being so righteous, for being so good to us, Lord. And we just want to come, Lord, just to say thank you, Lord. I pray, Father God, that you would have your way in this service. I pray that you would be exalted, that you would be glorified, that your your name would reign in this place. I pray, Lord, even as we look at the book of Philippians and reflect on Paul's ministry in Philippi, that you would do in someone's heart what you did in Lydia's heart in Acts chapter 16. That you would open up the, the eyes of our, their hearts and allow them to, to see and to understand your word. We pray even on today that today would be the day of salvation. So Father, I pray that you would speak now for your servants are listening. In the matchless, wonderful marvelous name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. What a joy it is to be with you this morning. If you could grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians, and we're going to look at the first chapter this morning, Philippians chapter 1. Stand to your feet. Thank you. Philippians chapter 1. And uh, so, got a, a number of s- sweet hugs and goodbyes this morning. In order to make it to the pulpit without completely breaking down, um, I just smiled and gave the okay sign. Wasn't being rude, amen. <laughs> just wanted to hold it together. So, uh, what you hold in your hand is the precious word of God. It is not written merely by men, um, it is written by men inspired by God, amen. So, if you could read with me, starting at the first verse. And then we're going to go down to the 11th verse, but we're only going to focus on verses 3 through 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy 
Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may prove what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer spent Christmas in 1943 in a Nazi prison camp, but he wrote to his parents that he would not let his loneliness get him down. Rather, he thanked his parents for the wonderful memories they gave him of past Christmases and assured them that those memories made the pain of separation more bearable. The Apostle Paul, who dreamed of going to Rome to do missions, now found himself in Rome as a prisoner, chained to a Roman soldier on house arrest. And any day he could have been beheaded. But part of what gets the Apostle Paul through this predicament is memories of the church at Philippi and hearing and learning about their constant progress. Like Bonhoeffer, these memories made the pain of separation more bearable for him. The Apostle Paul goes way back with the church at Philippi. It was the first church that he founded in Europe. It was where Paul and Silas were arrested while exercising a demon from a fortune-telling slave girl. Philippi was where Paul and Silas turned a jail cell into a revival place. It was there that they sang praises to God and prayed at midnight so that all the prisoners could hear. And that one jailer asked that great question, what must I do to be saved? The Apostle Paul had a special place in the Philippian church's heart. But the Philippian church, I would dare say, had an even more special place in his. In verses 3 through 11, we read a prayer of Paul. He starts this book off with a, a, a regular greeting, a, a normal salutation, and then with a prayer. But this prayer is a special prayer. It is an unusual prayer in that Paul lays out his heart and his affections to let them know exactly how much he, they mean to him. Paul's prayer is full of deep affection 
and thanksgiving for the church. We read in verse 3, the text says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, for you always, in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. And even as we look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, I, I want us to see just how affectionate Paul was towards this church. In fact, most Greek scholars say that this is one of the, the hardest sentences in the New Testament to, to kind of un, uh, uh, un, unveil. It, it is written with such affection, such, such love, that, that Paul was, had a hard time communicating exactly how he felt for them. You can see it even in our English version. It says, for I thank my God. I love that, my God. And not just I thank God, I thank my God. See, see, Paul was able to be affectionate towards the church at Philippi because he had a deep affection with the Lord. His vertical relationship with God allowed him to love others in a special way. He said, I thank my God. God wasn't always his God, but God became his God one day on a road called Damascus where he met Jesus personally. And when you've met Jesus personally and have had a Damascus experience, you don't mind showing affection towards people to let them know that you appreciate what they mean to you. He says, I thank my God. Does anybody have a my God in their heart this morning? Does anybody have a testimony that says, Lord, I thank my God. Can anybody make it personal this morning? That's what Paul says here. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He said, as I, as I think about all the memories I have of you, I, I thank God for all of them. Always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy. Do you see the affection there? Do you, do you see the language, all my remembrance, always, in every prayer? Paul had a deep affection for this church. I love what it says that he thanks God for, for everyone. Now, there's no such thing as a perfect church. The reason there's no such thing as a perfect church is because there's no such thing as perfect people. Because we're all messed up to one degree or another. But Paul was thankful for this church, and he says, I give thanks for you all. And, and that included Judea and Syntyche. In chapter 4, verse 2, we see the apostle writes, I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, those whose names were, are in the book of life. So even there, we see that the church of Philippi, that they had some issues. There was two women that he loved dearly that understood the gospel. There were probably leaders in the church who were struggling to get along. Paul says, I even thank God for you. He has a deep affection for this church, a imperfect church. We see that as we read throughout the letter that this is not just a, 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 a book of just merely thanksgiving, but it's also a book of correction as he is calling them to walk with humility and to walk with unity and to remember that righteousness is only through faith in Christ. But he's overflowing with thanksgiving. 
for what God has done in their lives. We read in verse 4 that he says, You all always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Joy is, a, is really one of the themes in this book. The, the word is repeated over and over. This pastor had joy. As he planted the church and kept up with the church, joy was in his heart. No matter where he was, he is in prison, chained to a Roman soldier on house arrest, and yet he has joy. And I I just want to say this to you, Forrest. A, A church that is serious about the gospel helps fulfill a pastor's joy. No matter what that pastor may be going through in his personal life, when he knows that he gets to shepherd and encourage a people who love Jesus, it it makes it all easier. And I simply want to just take a a few minutes today, like Paul, to just say thank you to Forest Baptist Church. You know, I had another sermon that I was mulling over and preparing um, from Acts chapter 20. It was a, a sermon simply warning the church to beware of wolves, um, and encouraging the church to, to stay on guard. And without really seeking the Lord and, and really uh, going before his presence, I just kind of picked that text because that's, that's, that's kind of my heart towards force. Uh, it, it was just a warning, be careful, watch out. But then as I began to, to pray to the Lord, I, I, I knew that even though I had those feelings and those warnings are certainly true and those warnings are certain there, certainly there, the resounding message that's in my heart this morning is thank you. It's thank you. I think I've warned you enough. It's, it's, it's thank you. It's thank you. And it's to let you know that you all make my prayers with joy. And it's to let you know that my wife and I have counted it a huge privilege in taking every moment serious where we have gotten the opportunity to be called pastor and first lady here. That's not something that we take lightly. And you all have have made that a, a lot easier because like the church at Philippi, you are partners in the gospel. And that's what Paul makes his point in verse number he goes on and he shows why he's so thankful for them, why he's so affectionate towards them. He says quite clearly because you, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, I am thankful to the Lord for you because of your partnership. And it's a specific partnership. It's a partnership in some. It's a partnership in the gospel. It's a partnership in the good news of Jesus Christ. This word partnership derives is from the, the Greek word koinonia, which simply means we know it is often translated as fellowship. This word appears 19 times in the New Testament, 16 times in Paul's writings. Three times in the book of Philippians. Now, when we hear the word fellowship, we often think of two people talking over a glass of, uh, 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 glass, uh, a cup of coffee. Y'all thought I was about to say glass of wine, didn't y'all? Y'all thought y'all was about to catch me slipping, amen. Maybe you're freedom, amen. 
But, but over a, a cup of coffee or, or hanging out at someone's house or enjoying some dessert together or even, even praying. But, but Paul, when he uses this word in, in Philippians, he has something very specific in mind. He's saying, I thank God for this, this partnership that we have. It's, it's, it's actually deeper than just a, a simple conversation. Something else in Philippians chapter 4. We see the Apostle Paul using this word again. Verse 14. Look at what he says. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. By partnership, the Apostle Paul is referring to the fact that this church sacrificially gave to support his ministry from the time that they first heard the gospel preached. Why? Because they were enthralled with him? No. Why? Because he was a a gifted, eloquent speaker? Paul says, no, I came to you. Uh, simply just preaching the cross. No, bec- why? Because they were in love with Jesus and were captivated by the gospel. And because they had a genuine love for Jesus and was captivated by the gospel, it bore fruit. And specifically in this church, one of the, the fruits that it bore, one of the, the evidences that came forth from this church was the fact that they were willing to give him money from the first day to help him on his journey to share the gospel to every person that he knew. They said, Paul, this message of what Jesus did, the fact that he lived a life that we could not live, the fact that he came from heaven as a, uh, to put on human clothing, the, the fact that he subjected himself to mankind, even though at any time he could have overthrown those who took him captive. The fact that he died on the cross and rose with all power, this message, the fact that he emptied himself to the point of death, even a death on the cross, it captivated this people. It captivated this church. It captivated them so much that they just just gave. Not to him so that he could live rich and buy a $65 million jet, but so that he could pour himself out for the gospel. So Paul, in chapter 1, is overwhelmed with affection as he's sitting in prison. He is remembering that when no one else would give to him, they gave. When no one else would encourage him, they encouraged him. Their ministry bore fruit. They were partners. That's an important word. Partnership, that's an important word. Hear me? It's an important word. They weren't merely pew members. They were partners. They weren't merely volunteers. They were partners. They appreciated the gospel 
just as much as Paul and did everything they could in their power to see the gospel go forth. And you may say, well, maybe they, were, they gave because they were a wealthy church. That's not true. This is the church at Macedonia that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. A church that actually, the text says, gave from their poverty. Because they heard about the church in Jerusalem and how they were being afflicted and persecuted. These were poor Christians who heard that other poor Christians needed money in order that the ministry would go forward, in order that their basic needs would be met, and they gave. They partnered with them. But financial giving isn't the only way that a, a church can partner with the pastor. This church has partnered with, with me for over seven years in, in a various amount of ways. Partnership is an attitude that says, I will do what needs to be done in order to see people discipled and lost people come to Jesus. And I simply want to say thank you for us, for partnering with me in the gospel. Came in 2006, came from uh, Michigan, went to Michigan State University, went to, lived in Chicago for a few months before moving down to Louisville. Took me a while to get that right, Louisville. Right? Remember the first time I walked through uh, the doors of Forest Baptist Church, it was you standing outside, and I remember looking for the pastor's office, got directions to get to the church, but they told me to turn on Newburgh Road once I got off 264. I didn't know whether to go right or left, so I went left and was lost. Called the pastor, said, where is this church? He said, did you make a left or right? I told him which way I went. He said, come on down, hurry up, because you gotta, you got to pray this morning for us. But from the first time I prayed here at Forest Baptist Church, it was, it was nothing but love. And then as the Lord led me to become interim pastor, it was tough and we had some challenges. But there were people here who said, if you're preaching the gospel, I'm going to partner with you. It was 2009 as we looked at the state of the church and the Lord burdened my heart as we looked at the way our finances were to, to make sure that we tithe 10% of every dollar that we receive into the offering to missions, that we gave 10% of that to missions. And I remember sitting with our finance committee after praying about this, saying, Lord, Lord, I, I, this just doesn't make sense. Looking at our budget last year, we don't, we don't have 10% to give but went in by faith and cast a vision of us having money so that we can have 10% just that will go straight towards reaching the lost and that will support ministries in Louisville who are in the trenches. And I remember saying that vision, just anticipating it, kind of getting knocked right back at me. And because the gospel was going forth, because God was saving people, because people's lives were changed, because these members of the committee wanted to see God do something wonderful in the life of this church. Nobody complained. He said, Pastor, we don't necessarily see how this is going to work out, but we will trust God with you. And that next year, we had one of our highest years of giving. And ever since then, have been able to pretty comfortably give 10% towards missions each year of our annual. That's partnership. Partnership is, is the day's that people gave up Saturday mornings to knock on doors and to pray in the community. To put on annoying yellow shirts 
and annoying hats and to walk and to, to share the gospel. Partnership is, is people going on mission trips to Puerto Rico and helping a, a new church plant, a church plant there that had outgrown their space and that just needed workers to come in and to encourage them. Partnership is those who gave up time for vacation Bible school. Five nights a week. Running around chasing kids. Sweating, cooking hot dogs. But that's not, it's a difference from partnership and, and volunteering. See, see, volunteering is just doing something to kind of ease your conscience or because someone has put pressure on you or because you know it's the right thing to do. Partnership is saying, I am doing this because I want to see transformation take place. Partnership is what happened yesterday at the singles conference when married couples came down and volunteered. I got here at 7.15 thinking I was going to be the first person here. Had the musician, a, a visiting guest musician here with me. I was a little grumpy too. Erskine, if you're listening to this online, brother, excuse me, I'm going to tell the truth. I was a little grumpy because I wasn't supposed to get here to, to 8, 8.30. I was a little tired, and I got a call early that morning. saying, my wife and kids, they don't want to come early. You're going to have to come pick me up. I said, yes, Lord, I'll go. <laughs> Thinking I was going to be the first person here to turn off the alarm and to, to come into the sanctuary, but people were already here smiling. Lights already on because they wanted people to hear the gospel. Partnership is what our van ministry does. I love y'all. Y'all don't quit after this, but sometimes I wonder how y'all do it. Waking up a little extra in the morning, lovingly going place to place to pick up people who we want here and who you want here without ever complaining. Partnership is what these deacons is what these deacons do and have done for over six years. What these pastors do week in and week out is what many of you do, whether that's ushering or, or singing in the choir because you want people to hear of the excellencies of Christ. Partnership is what makes a, a, the heart of the church go and grow. And I, I just want to encourage you here today. And there's many other things I could have mentioned. There's many other ways that people have sacrificed so that Forest Baptist Church will be a thriving, healthy church. But I just want to encourage you, beloved, don't volunteer. Don't be a, a pew member. Be a partner. A partner is one who is willing to sacrifice not just for the pastors, not for, but for Jesus. Because you know that he emptied himself out for you. Partnership is a Christian education ministry. Partnership is our community group leaders. Partnership is our community group participants. Saying, I, I could give up, uh, stay at home, every week, this time of the week, and watch my favorite show, but I need to, to go and to, to talk about Jesus, to go a, a little deeper in the Word and to encourage someone else who is there. That's partnership. Partnership is having an awkward work schedule, and maybe you're not able to, to do all those things, but you, you make sure that you pray regularly, fervently, for the saints and a work of ministry.
Paul says, I, I thank God for this partnership in the gospel from the, the, from the very first day unto now. I thank God for this partnership with you all from the very first day until now. I, I was, what, 22, 23 years old when the Lord uh, allowed me to come to Forest Baptist Church and to uh, become interim pastor. Didn't really know what I was doing. All I knew is that God had called me to preach the word. I wasn't that great at it, but I, I just knew that if we just preached the gospel and just said what the text says, that God could do something special, and he did. He blessed his word. But it was because you all, many of you, partnered in ministry. Encouraged me when my head was a little low. My walk was a, a little slow. My decisions weren't quite up to par. And that's why in verse 6, Paul can say what he says about the church at Philippi. Because they partnered with them, because they gave sacrificially, because they, they never left his side, he can say this, I and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. Why can he say that to the church at Philippi? Because he saw fruit in their lives. He said, one thing I'm sure of, as I'm here in Rome, an old man to change, don't know if I'm going to live again. I am sure of this. When Christ returns, he will complete what he started the first day that you heard and believed the gospel. And I can say to, to many in this congregation that, that I am sure of this. That he who begun this good work, what's the good work? This gospel work, this work of grace in your life, that he will bring it to completion. I, I, I can't bring it to completion. I need the gospel as much as you need the gospel, if not more. But he can bring it to completion. He is able to keep you from stumbling. He is able to keep you from falling. I praise God that he has allowed me with these other men to be under shepherds, but we have a chief shepherd, 1 Peter chapter 5, a good shepherd, John chapter 10, who will not allow any of his to be snatched from his hand. So I have confidence in this, that the work of Forest Baptist Church will go on. It will prosper. That the good shepherd will keep you. And multiply grace in your life. That's, that's not one of the things I'm worried about. Because he is faithful. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But he has come to give life. And life more abundantly. His sheep know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow. His sheep are stubborn towards kidnappers. His sheep do not go. <laughs> they may go astray, but they will not stay astray. Because his sheep have a, has a shepherd. They say, wait a minute, one of them missing. And he gets that shepherd hook. And he may discipline that sheep a little bit, but he's going to bring that sheep back to the sheepfold. His sheep have other sheep, James chapter 5 who goes and who gets the one who is wandering. He's going to bring it to completion. 
He points them to the eschaton. He points them to the last day. Points them back to Christ. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way. Look at this affection that he has once again. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I told you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Once again, he uses words of affection. This isn't a dull intellectual seminary professor speaking. This is a pastor. This is one who loves God's people. He said, it's right for me to feel this way. He said, let me be mushy. Let me be a little, little sensitive. Why? Because I hold you in my heart. This isn't just a professional pastor. This is a pastor who loves sheep. This is a pastor who prayed for sheep. This is a pastor who may sacrifice himself having another job for for sheep. This is a a, a pastor who fasted for them. It's a pastor who put his name on the line. It's a pastor who's willing to be stoned, willing to be imprisoned, willing to be shipwrecked. Why was he willing to do those things? Because God's people was in his heart. This is a pastor who was willing, Romans chapter 9, verse 1, to go to hell so that his kindred, his, his, the Jews, would be saved. This was one who was serious about the gospel. Pastoring is more than preaching. Don't, don't give me someone who can just preach. Give me someone who will hold me in their hearts. I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have a pastor who held me in his heart, who saw me as a, a, a college student and said, told three guys, stalk him, get his number, follow him. And they did. I kept saying, man, these guys are weird. I tried to run. I made all excuses. Oh, the reason I'm going to church because Christians, they're just so high-minded, so heavenly-minded, no earthly good. We don't have anything. And we didn't have too much in common because I had gone astray. But the Lord used them to come and get me and had a, a pastor who held me in his heart, who, who wasn't concerned about numbers and, and, and putting on a show on Sunday, but who was concerned about pastoring. Pastoring is a dirty job. Sheep sometimes get what's called nose flies. Flies get up in their nose and kind of just plant there and could cause blindness in the sheep. And, and then they start acting weird. And, and, but a good pastor knows when a sheep start, is starting to wobble. He'll get on his knee, get up in their nose and get that fly out and treat them like it never says, for you all are, listen to this, you all are partakers with me of grace. Again, you are partners with me of grace. 
Do you, do you see yourself as a partner with, with these men, with these pastors of grace? Has, has grace captivated you? Has, has the fact that God loves you more than you deserve? Do you believe that? Do, do you believe that, that you deserve hell, eternal separation from God? Do, do you believe that, that none of us are, are righteous? No, not one. Do you believe that when the grace of God appeared, it brought salvation to all men? Do you, are you a partaker of this grace that not only saves, but this grace that sanctifies and that sustains and that will safely bring us home? Paul said, I am thankful for you because you see yourselves as a partner. A shareholder. We don't come to church just to be entertained. We don't come to, to church just simply to, to be filled up and to go and to, to just be happy. We come to become better disciples. We, we come to, to learn more in order that we can trust the Holy Spirit and that he would use us. We come to be equipped. That's the role of an apostle, of pastors and teachers. It is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, of their ministry. I said it once, I'll say a hundred more times. You ask me how's ministry going, expect me to ask you the same thing. We are all ministers of the gospel. Partakers. But look. The thing that set the church of Philippi apart was that they gave to Paul when things weren't going well. When others forsook him, when others forsaked him, he, he says in verse, look, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He says, you didn't leave me when I was in prison. You, you didn't stop giving when I was in prison. When things did not look up, you didn't close your pocketbooks. You could have just left me here to rot. You could have moved on to the next preacher who tickled your ears, but you stayed faithful. And I just want to encourage Forrest, I know that you all will because you, you all are partakers of grace. You are partners that doing this interim period and doing the calling of the, the, the next pastor to, to commit yourselves to Christ. Things may get shaky. Things may get awkward. Things may not meet your preferences for a season or two or, or whatever, but our commitment is to Christ, is to the gospel, is to lost people being saved. It's to the chief shepherd. Some of us, uh, if you were here, last Sunday, you got to experience the ordination of two, two of our pastors, and uh, man, they were sharp. They were sharp. I told Pastor Maceo, I said, I'm glad nobody recorded my ordination and put it up against y'all's, amen? <laughs> they were sharp. We had... Uh, five seasoned pastors here who helped examine them and was here to encourage them and all of them back in the office said that was the best ordination we, we, we experienced. All of them was just floored. They just floored. One of them said, I, I've done many ordinations. I've never seen two men, not only prepared, 
but giving answers from their heart and shepherding as they share. Lord has blessed for us with three godly men and, and deacons that who simply just want to do God's will. And we want to make sure we're partnering with them to do God's will. Verse 8. Paul continues with this affectionate language, for God is my witness. He got Paul swearing now. How I yearn for you. Look. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's, that's the way a relationship is supposed to be between a leader and the, and the, and, 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 and the people of God. That's the way a relationship is supposed to be between the members of God. There should be a, a yearning. I, I just can't wait to see this person again. I, just can't wait to see how sister so-and-so is doing since Sunday. I know it's only been two days and we got community group on Tuesday, but I just can't, can't wait to see them. And that, that only is, is fostered through, through a relationship with Jesus. The more we love him, the more we love the things that he loves and the people that he loves. First John tells us that some, some gives us some evidences of, of people being Christians. And one of those evidences is that they love their brothers. So you can't hate your brother and say that you love Jesus. Can't, can't say that you, that you love God and you hate your brother whom you see. As I yearn for you with the affection of Christ, verse Verse 9 introduces a, a new point for us here in this passage. And it's this. Second, Paul's prayer reveals his desire to see their love multiplied. His desire to, to see their love multiplied. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. He says, so I'm praying this prayer with thanksgiving, but I'm also praying this prayer with the desire that, that love would multiply, that love would abound in you more and more. This was Paul's heart towards the churches that he planted and would visit as, as, mission, as a missionary in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 11, we see Paul saying a similar thing to the church at Thessalonica. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. That's Paul's prayer as he is writing to the church of Philippi. He's saying, 
thank you for being partners of the gospel. Thank you for being partakers of the gospel. But he's saying, I have a, another prayer. I, I pray that you all would love one another. You know, it's sometimes easier to love those who are outside of our family than those who are inside of our family. He says, I, I love the way that you guys love the church of Jerusalem by, by sending money, but, but I need you to make sure that you are loving each other. And that that love is growing deeper and deeper for each other. That's what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation, there that word goes again, in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love. I need you to love each other. I need you to be like the church of Galatia who was devouring one another. I need you to love each other. So church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. My prayer is that Forest would continue to be a place of love and truth. I've heard so many visitors come and say, that this was one of the most loving places that they had ever been. That is a testimony of God's grace. May that love continue to abound. May that love multiply. May it increase. But Paul, when he talks about love here, he's not merely talking about affections. He just got through from sharing affections, but when he's talking about love, he's not talking about this kind of gooey feeling, this touchy feeling, uh, touchy-filly type of thing, right? No, no, no. When he talks about love, he's talking about an attitude. He's talking about a behavior. He's talking about actions. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Those are concrete behavioral things. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that his prayer is that your love may abound more and more, he's saying, I pray that these attributes are more and more evident. I pray, Lord willing, as I, I come back to, to visit, to, to preach, or to, to hear preaching, or to, to be ministered to here at Forest Baptist Church, that I would say, man, they really love Jesus in 2016, but they, they love him even more. It's just increasing. It's just overflowing. It's just abounding. nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count the other person as more significant than yourselves. That's love. It's sacrificial and it is rooted in the way that God loves us. It's rooted in the cross of Jesus. 
It's rooted in the one who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It is, it is rooted in the pattern of Jesus, the, the pardon of Jesus, and we are able to love through the power of Jesus. It's not something we have to work up in ourselves or, or make a list to, to make happen. It's something that happens as we press on towards the mark of the high calling. We love Jesus and realize how much more he loved us. We can't help but to love others. Because we realize that when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, that he made us alive and gave us a living hope. So we're able to freely dispense grace. This week the pastors told me that they wanted an hour-long sermon because I had been cutting it down to about 40, 45 minutes. They said, no, you get the hour this Sunday. Some of y'all looking like, no, you don't. We love you, but we don't love you that much, brother. <laughs> it goes on that it may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge and all discernment. This, this isn't an intellectual ascent when he says knowledge here. This isn't just simply knowing more intellectually. No, this is an a intimate a knowledge that's based on a relationship. Same word that's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. For, we, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have fully known. As, as we get to see Jesus and as we go from glory to glory and become more knowledgeable of him through, through relationship, Paul is saying, I want this love to abound. This love will only abound through a relationship that allows you to know God more deeply with all discernment, with wisdom. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. What does he mean so that you may approve it more excellent? He said, I want you to abound in love so that you simply may be able to discern God's will for your life, for the life of the church. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ points them once again to that great day where Jesus returns. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. I want your love to grow. I want your knowledge of Jesus to, to grow. I want you to be able to discern, to, to be able to see what God's will is for your life. I, I want you to be able to, to experience the transforming power of Jesus so that you look more and more like him, so that on the day when, when Jesus returns, you, you are able to stand with integrity. Not only justify, but, but one who has pursued sanctification, who has pursued Jesus, who has set their affections on the things that are above, who can stand before Jesus and says, Jesus, in you I am made righteous, and, and, and through you I I grew. Through you, I was transformed. Through you, I have a testimony that I, I once was, but I'm no longer. Through you, I can look back at my life and, and I can see where you have brought me from. 
let me wrap up. My, my prayer is a prayer of joy. It's a, it's a prayer that, of thanksgiving. It's an honest prayer that says, Lord, you did this. You healed this church. You grew this church. You allowed relationships to, to be mended. You allowed marriages to be strengthened. You allowed young adults to catch fire. You, Lord. You brought leaders. You brought revival in our hearts. You used little old me to just play a part, to be a partaker, a participant in this great work. And you are not done yet. This is not the, the end. This is the beginning. This is us now building on a foundation that will continue to grow. And the chief cornerstone of this building is one whose name is Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. The, the builder of, of this, this great building, this great work is one who is unable to fail, one who is immutable, one who is perfect, one who's just a bad man, one who is the rose of Sharon, one who is a lily in the valley, one who is the great I am, one who is the one who will come back with, with a, a name tattooed on his thigh that no one knows because he's just that good. He is the one who deserves to be praised. To the glory and praise of God, I pray that our time here can be summed up with those words. To God be the glory for the great things he has been done. To God be praised. To God be exalted. To God be glorified. For he is the one whose salvation comes through. He is the one who drew us through his spirit. He's the one who sovereignly and providentially brought us each here to be members of this church. He is the one who is able to do exceedingly above and beyond all we could ask or think. Philippians chapter 4. Close you with this. Paul says this. And I, I really do believe that, that Paul, after chapter 2, is really showing the church of Philippi how, how to love each other, how to grow in love. You can read that, the rest of the chapter with that in mind. But I love what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, or sisters, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. Amen. Let's pray.